0: Hello, and welcome to Michigan and Other Mayhem, the show about Michigan, murder, mysteries, histories, and other mayhem from around the world. Your hosts are Allie and Jen. Okay, Jen, let's do this thing. Hello, Jen. Hey, Allie. How you doing?
1: Good. This time it asked me to type my name in.
0: (laughs) Oh, shit.
1: Yeah, so now it says my name.
0: It really does. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I just want to let uh, everyone know that when this house had COVID, you came in in the clutch and fed us and kept us alive for a few more days. And honestly, I have never heard your brother more grateful.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I had to laugh to myself because Anytime I do anything for my brother, it's like, no, no, you shouldn't have done that. And I didn't get none of that. I just got a thanks. Cause I'm like, Oh, you want banana bread? Like a slice? No, I'll give you a whole loaf. It was
0: delicious. Oh,
1: <laughs> you want one bowl of chicken noodle soup? Let me give you four servings.
0: That soup was actually really good as well.
1: <laughs> so I was waiting for it, but I was like, Oh, you could tell he was really sick.
0: Yeah, and when I heard him like talking to your parents, he—I've never heard him sound so grateful <laughs> for the, for something to have happened. I was like, yeah, and you're right. Normally he's like, no, no, don't do it. And this time he's like, yeah, that'd be great.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then when I was sitting there, like, uh, I got Doordash. I just dashed that to you.
0: <laughs> yeah, no shit. And I was, uh, yeah. Mike brought COVID home, and I was sick for like two weeks. We had different like symptoms. I had a fever that. It broke after like five days, but then it kept coming back. And Mike had um, a headache, and he was really congested. And it fucked this house. Oh, It was bad. Well,
1: Well, I'll have to say that I'm still in COVID.
0: Oh, no shit.
1: And I have yet to infect anyone. But I am like spraying down everything wherever I go and like a crazy freak about it
0: oh shit
1: um I think that is save the others um but yeah I brought mine home from an airplane I believe
0: so yeah caught it at work (laughs) and by the time that he was he came home from work not feeling good I was already not feeling good and I was just like, "Oh, yeah, the fever starts." Yeah, it was it was awful. I don't know how people who are already not feeling good deal with COVID because that was it. Literally, COVID has hands. It beat my ass. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, so that's funny that you say that because that's how I feel. So I came home first day I was back from my trip. I was fine. The next day I had a headache. And I just thought, oh, it's just a headache. The next day, I woke up with a killer sore throat. And I had had to wear a mask the previous day. So I thought, oh, it was seven hours in a mask. But it was every hour from the point I got up at five that I had a new symptom.
0: No shit. You know,
1: like my nose is running. Now my nose is stuffed. Now I'm congested. Now my body aches. And then the fever hit.
0: The fever and was so bad for me.
1: I got up to 104.
0: Okay, I don't take my temperature, so I don't know. But not to gross you the fuck out. At one point in about five hours, I sweated through 10 shirts, like soaked the shirts with sweat. I was so hot. It was awful.
1: Yeah, I took my temperature, because, and then I'm trying to get it down. So I'm in the shower. I'm doing all. I did, uh,
0: that. I did the, the shower. Old,
1: yeah, the old school stuff, and like I could not get that damn thing down. And then, yeah, I had the same experience. Like middle of the week, I felt like I broke my fever. I had a great day. I felt good. Yeah. Like my body aches were going away. And then all of a sudden that I night, woke up the next day, fever. Yeah. 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 And, and yesterday, no, and I have to say, there are things like I don't have my sore throat anymore. My body doesn't like, I don't feel like I just need to get a new body completely. It doesn't ache as bad anymore. Oh. But yesterday, I had to go and close the lake. Because it's my last weekend. I have yeah. the damn thing done. And it got so cold. I thought, oh my God, the pipes are going to freeze. Uh-huh. And so. I go. I'm feeling pretty good yesterday. You know. I'm tired. You know, my nose. I'm coughing up things that I. I don't feel congested anymore. But I'm coughing stuff up. So I must be. Okay. And I go do that. I do like nothing but point and I get home I get in bed and no joke I slept from that I might have got up like for an hour last night maybe around like nine Mm -hmm. and then here and there like I answered your text and but I really did sleep all the way until I texted you this morning around seven said I'm up now.
0: yeah I'm telling you, that's no joke i got to beat the fuck up too uh, and it took me to yeah two weeks to get over it i feel better now and for the first time i had an appetite yesterday and i ate like a full dinner
1: so what was it monday tuesday tuesday i think it was monday or tuesday i lost my taste and smell yeah i still don't have it it is the hardest thing to eat yeah. without that did you lose
0: that yeah well whenever you're congested and you lose your sense of smell when you're sick um use that you stop eating so I was like prepared for it but after I was sick for two weeks I was like I would like t- to eat again thank you and enjoy my food
1: <laughs> yeah did you lose your taste
0: yeah well you lose taste when you lose your sense of smell
1: oh is that why I have that yeah yeah well, I can smell. That's the weird thing. Like,
0: See, I couldn't smell a lot of things. I work in a dispensary where we have like different smelling marijuana, and I literally couldn't smell.
1: Right. I can't smell, but I can breathe in my nose is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So I don't know. I, yeah, it's horrible well, you to You do still
0: sound congested, though, so it still might be fucking up your sense of smell.
1: I'm going to tell you this. I, I don't know if I'll ever eat cheese again. Like I lost my taste, so I couldn't taste anything. And I'm like, I still need to eat something. So I go down and get like the little cube cheese and the meat. And I have this piece of cheese. And I'm like, no, with no taste, and all you know is the texture of the food that you're eating, it all sucks. But cheese yeah. is really bad. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like, uh-huh. I'm like, I'm never going to be able to forget that.
0: Yeah, I'm so all right. So what what are you gonna talk about better stuff today? Like more on the uh, Wagner family? Because I've been noticing like videos up on TikTok about the Pike County massacre.
1: So right. I'm not updating you on that. That's slow rolling. Okay. I will be updating you guys, but not today. Um, that's slow rolling because it's painful. Okay, you know, we watch court cases. It's you sit and watch them. And this is in Ohio, they allowed the person testifying to opt out of being recorded audio or visual or one or the other. Okay. And so I'm watching it the first day. I wa- I have the note my notes on the the opening statements but the first person goes up to testify they opt out so it's out an hour or something of nothing Uh. you just sit there listening to music waiting for them to come back live it wasn't until the other day that like a police officer like i got a couple people but most of these people are opting out of being on you know recorded and stuff
0: I get it though, well, yeah. But it sucks yeah. for uh, anybody who's trying to listen though.
1: Well, I look at it as they don't do this anywhere else.
0: Is it, is it just this guy?
1: I have no idea. I've been too sick to even investigate it, other than to be pissed about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> other oh, than you know that it is happening. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's happening. So it's making it a little bit more difficult because I got to wait until one of the reporters that are in there does an article because uh, they can write about it all day long. Yeah, they just can't, you know, broadcast the audio or. Okay. So I've always heard of it, you know, when it's a youth but that's fine you don't want your like picture to be on tv but i don't understand why they don't let the audio
0: maybe they don't want to they don't want everybody to know what their part in it you know what i mean and get judged for it.
1: it is a small town yeah but that'll be coming but i'm gonna do roxanne wood okay she was murdered in
0: 1987
1: all right what are you doing
0: I'm gonna go over these two dead file cases, and I must say, I'm not really into like the supernatural stuff, but I do, um, I do like when they go over the history. I really do. I really do. You know you, what I mean? You're into
1: it's still into Discovery Plus.
0: Absolutely, I can't help it. And there's different shows. Like um, there's some that are that are about cameras, some that are about courts, some that are like. Um, like Paula on she does stuff that are like um, like 60 minutes type of stuff then there's like the deadly women category which we got a couple more coming up and then there's ones like dead files which do the more supernatural stuff
1: all right you want to go first
0: sure I'll go first all okay. right so mine's going to be the two different dead file episodes and this is when I first start going over the Dead Files episode, so it takes me a minute to catch a rhythm. I'll admit it, all right? But Dead Files is a show that it pairs this former detective, his name is Steve, and this psychic, her name is Amy. And they're supposed to stay away from each other during the investigation. Then they get together at the end and see if their findings match, according to the show. So the show starts with Mike driving to Waterville, which uh, is in Michigan. And Steve, the detective, says how he's like, we're just a few hours away from Detroit. So, you know, I have to look it up, right?
1: Right, because everybody says that.
0: Yeah, they're on the opposite side of the state from Detroit. They're closer to Chicago than Detroit by an hour if you're driving. They're literally on the other side of Lake Michigan from Chicago. <laughs> yeah. and, south, if you're, and if you don't understand Michigan, Detroit is the south um, east corner. And I'm talking about the, the southwest corner of the state, exact opposite side. So the so I was like, no, Jesus Christ. Okay, but anyway, the show begins <laughs> with this woman. She calls for help. She believes that there's this supernatural presence in her home trying to kill her. And before Amy the psychic arrives at her home, the assistant goes in the house and he tries to remove items that would help identify who lives there. You know, photos are removed from the walls, toys are covered, religious iconography comes down. And when Amy arrives at the house, her initial impression of the home is she thinks it's creepy and that there might be a child entity controlling other entities and the detective steve interviews the homeowner who explains that she is afraid for her safety and in the three years that she's moved into the home her health has declined she's gained weight she had a heart attack after moving in and she's only 32 years old and she's been physically harmed like being burned and scratched and stuff like that so the show cuts back to amy the psychic she's reading the home She said that the entities attack one particular person and it goes for their health. And Amy talks about how the victim of the entities is sleepwalking and sometimes gets hurt in the process. They probably have nightmares. And she talks about this entity going after people's sleep and trying to control them. And then she picks up on this male entity who's in his 50s. He's angry, but she doesn't think that he can influence people, just that he's a crabby entity. And she picks up on a shadow person that she believes to be a female around age 12. She's the one that she thinks this is the influencer of the house members. So the homeowner, whose, whose name is Amanda, she then talks about feeling like she was once in a trance. And when she came out it, she was in the at the kitchen counter spinning a knife, and she was struggling with suicidal thoughts, and she normally doesn't. And this is what makes her think that the entity is trying to kill her. All right. <coughs> now, yeah. Now her homeowner you know the homeowner amanda her boyfriend mike has his kids visit on the weekends and the weekend before the taping uh, mike's young son saw these glowing red eyes while he was in the room and amy thinks that the entity is jealous of her relationship with the kids so the detective interviews the boyfriend mike mike says that he feels like someone's crawling in bed with him he can hear someone whispering and amy talks about a female entity getting into bed with the man and he has like bouts of rage in the house. Now, Amy's mom believes that the entity attacks her because she's not living up to her higher purpose, and she believes that Amy needs some type of spirituality. And Amy believes, and Amy's mom believes that only God can um, help Amy in the fight between angels and demons. Okay, okay, okay. So, Steve the detective goes to a historian. This is where I start jumping in. I'm like, yeah, I like. go to the historian. And the story tells him that the property where Amy and Mike once lived belonged to Isaac Swain in the night in the 1830s. Now Isaac owned about 900 acres of land altogether. He was a lumber baron and he, the low, these, this local author starts to fill Steven on Isaac's life. So Isaac and his wife, Valonia moved to the area with their three children. And when their daughter, Martha, who was 15 years old, um, dies. And there isn't a record of the cause, just that 15-year-old Martha passed away. Within two years of Martha's death, Isaac and Felonia's youngest son, William, who was about three at the time, passes away suddenly. Isaac and his wife's last child, a daughter named Louisa, she suffers a tragic accident between the ages of 10 and 4. She fell and she hit her head so hard that it left her disabled for the rest of her life. So two out of their three children have passed away. One hits her head and is disabled. Three years after that accident, when she's disabled, Valonia, the wife, she falls ill with symptoms that were probably tuberculosis. Isaac gave his wife, you know, the best care he can find. He travels around the country looking for a cure. She passes away after three years of searching for a cure. Their daughter, Louisa, had been left at home with caregivers while her parents traveled around, and due to, like, stigma at the time, she would not have been able to go out socially, so she was probably homebound until she died being taken care of by these people that their her parents paid, you know? So the detective Steve finds an obituary of a 32-year-old woman named Sadie Smith who died in 1918, and her funeral was held in Amanda's home. It had been the Smith family home. Steven then went on to this specialist who obtained a copy of Sadie's death certificate. She died from the Spanish flu. So a woman named Sadie dies in Amanda's house and her funeral's had, held there. Sadie's um, parents continue to live in the home because it was actually not that uncommon to have a funeral in your home. Her parents continued to live in the home and five years later at age 67, Sadie's mom passes away in the house of natural causes. They do hold her funeral off, present, off the premises. John Smith, who is Sadie's dad, continues to live in the home until he passes away from natural causes all three smiths died in that home now amy the psychic picks up that um on the funeral that's held in the home she picks up on the death of the smith and at the end of the show everyone gets together and amy tells mike and amanda what she saw during her tour mike backs her up on the funeral amy talks about an old man entity she found in the basement that she thought passed from an aneurysm that is how john smith died So Amy had a sketch done on one of the spirits she saw. Amy looks at the sketch. She thinks it looks like the spirit she saw. Amy brings up the little girl entity who was in an accident and was afterwards shut in. Mike tells her about Louisa and the accident. Amy then talks about how powerful the little girl is and how she's always tagging along with Amanda. And she is jealous of Mike's kids. So Amanda tells Mike and Amy they can protect themselves. She suggests that they childproof their room and not let Mike sleep next to Amanda. And then she does suggest an exorcism and to ask the church for help. And then they leave. Jesus. I know. Well, I was totally into the history part when they're talking about the family and the Lumber Baron and shit.
1: Right. And that family had a lot of crazy things.
0: Yeah, like all three of the children died or got hurt by the age of like 15. And then the um, three Smiths that lived in that house all died there. Okay, so the second and last one is called Dead Files, Triggered. And this is where Amy, the psychic, and Steve, the detective, now they're going to Flint for this episode. And again, it starts with Steve driving, and he's like, I'm in about an hour west of Detroit. And you know what? That is fair. That is fair. <laughs> that is about an hour west of Detroit. And I was like, that is that is better. You are Fine. about an hour away, and that's that's better.
1: Yeah, yeah. somebody got it right. So
0: Yeah, finally. So Steve is driving to a woman named Carrie's house. She has four kids. They're little. They're having trouble with something in her house. Carrie's lived in the house for about two and a half years. She moved in after her husband's grandparents passed away. It's their house, right? They hear noises, footsteps. They see shadow figures. And Carrie's husband is suddenly dealing with depression and angry outbursts. So Amy arrives at night. Her first impression of the home is that it's sad. And she feels like there's a strong male entity that influences men to be violent in the house. And the homeowner, Carrie, tells Steve, the investigator, that she sees a small shadow person on the second floor sometimes for her, when her children aren't home. And that she also sometimes sees a tall shadow. And these things are like daily. She also was felt like she, someone pushed her and she did fall down the stairs and broke her arm. And Amy, the psychic, while doing her walkthrough, says, I think someone might have been pushed down the stairs. It was Carrie. So Carrie talks about, you know, someone inappropriately touching her when she's in the shower or laying in bed and her relationship with her husband, Chad, not going well. Steve, the detective, talked to um, Ariana and Victoria, which are Carrie's daughters. They expressed feeling you know, sad when they're in the house and the house makes them feel sad and that they've had something grab their foot really hard while they're laying in bed. They have nightmares. They see a shadow man and they talk about how Chad gets angry in the house. So Chad's like, yeah, I do have explosive rage. And sometimes he feels like someone's choking him when he's sleeping. And he thinks that the spirit that's being mean to women may be his grandfather, because his grandfather was really, in life, was cruel to women. So Steve, the detective, goes to talk to a historian named Walt Blayton, who said that there was a connection between some murders and the property that Carrie and Chad live on. Walt says that the land was originally owned by Thomas Brandt, and he owned over seventy thousand acres in Genesee County, and that is where Flint is located. In 1835, Charlotte, who was Thomas's daughter, falls in love with a nearby tenant farmer named Devillo Palmer. Only there's there's problems with that. One, Devillo's married. Two, Charlotte's mom was like, "Fuck this dude, he's married," and I don't, and I think he's shit. So, unfortunately, Charlotte still becomes pregnant. And after Charlotte becomes pregnant, mysteriously, Devillo's wife goes missing. And there is accounts at the time of a possible child going missing that Devillo and his wife had a child. And when his wife went missing after Charlotte became pregnant, so did the child. And he's suspected of murder, but he was never charged. So Amy picks up on a child spirit from the 1800s around the house and the little girl's playing outside. It starts to get dark and she sees someone approaching her and then suddenly she's dead and she knows whoever she knows the person that's approaching her so charlotte and davillo they do get married and six months later charlotte's mother dies of arsenic poisoning and works the yeah davillo's the person of interest in the death but he takes off he runs off never to be seen a local police sergeant in the area talks to uh, the detective steve about the pregnant woman There was a pregnant woman who had been murdered about a mile from Carrie and Chad's house. Her name was Hope Johnson, and she went missing January 29th, 1988, and she was eight months pregnant, and she had a four-year-old. Her boyfriend reported her missing February 2nd, and Hope was found about six weeks later, and her murder was never solved. So Stephen then looks at this auto plant that's less than a mile down the street from their home. And Gary Godin is a historian for the auto plant. And he talked to Steve about different employee deaths. So on October 3rd, 1963, Michael McDonough, who was 26 years old, he died after being struck on the head by a boom. And since windows, um, widows receive a larger payout, they after he got hit on the head, they made sure like he died there in the factory. It was pronounced dead by the physician so that his wife could receive a better payout. And on June 19th, 1979, in a factory building 31, John Holstein, who was 21, he died. A hydraulic line broke and covered him in flammable solution, and a nearby spark lit him on fire. And he died two weeks later in the hospital. December 23rd, 1944, a die setter named Willie Anderson was killed. He was crushed by an uh, 80,000-pound block that caught him between the guardrail and the die. And Amy, the psychic, then describes what entities she saw in the sketch. They show the sketch, and they recognize Chad's grandfather's cousin that lived in the house throughout the years, he, and he was a violent man while he was alive. And here's the part that I was like, what? Amy suggests that in order fam- for this family to stay safely at the house, they need to find a male medium, and that they need that person to match the energy of the entities And she also suggests that they find a male chaos magician. Amy suggests that the male medium call for the entity and that the chaos magician can trap him and send it away. And she also thought that Chad's anger issues would benefit from a Reiki master. And she suggested a psychotherapist.
1: Christ. Yep.
0: Yeah. And I was like, I don't know about this show, bro. I don't know about this show. (laughs) That might be my last one on the uh, Dead Files.
1: What I'm learning about is that if I ever move, I'm going to do way more investigation on the house I'm moving to. Oh,
0: yeah. Find out who died in it (laughs) and nearby.
1: Yeah. And I'm the one, like, if I moved into a house and I was getting sick and those things were happening to me, I'm moving out. Uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't care if it's in the shittiest part of town in some shitty apartment. I'm moving.
0: <laughs> You're like, that's it. I'm done. Right. Yeah.
1: Like, that's crazy. Yeah. All right, Roxanne Wood. Yeah. Roxanne.
0: I think we might have already done this one. this one.
1: Well, if we did. Yeah. Okay. Yes, we did because I did say I stopped looking. Okay. What did we do it in twenty twenty two when we first um, when we started back? Because if we did, yes. if we didn't, then this is an update.
0: We did, but I honestly don't remember the update, and I would love to hear what you have.
1: We did it in twenty twenty two.
0: Yeah, April twenty twenty two.
1: Oh shit, people well,
0: bring it though. Bring it on. Let's see what you got, girl. I don't even know. I don't even, I can't find it anywhere other than it's on the list.
1: Oh man, I gotta start giving you who I'm doing.
0: No problem. no problem.
1: All right, let's roll through this, people.
0: Let's do it.
1: Maybe I have more than I had last time.
0: I know. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, we're gonna blame COVID. Rox Roxanne was 30 years old. She was married to Terry Wood and lived in Barron County, Michigan, which is in Niles Township. February 1987, her and Terry went for a fun night out at the bowling alley, and they had both drove separately. When they were done, Roxanne left the bowling alley first, and Terry decided he was going to stay a bit longer. When she arrived home, he reported to the police that he had found her on the kitchen floor with her throat sliced open. During the investigation, the police did find and collect DNA from the scene. And, of course, the first suspect was her husband. They did a DNA test, and it wasn't a match, so the case went cold. Okay. The cold case department of the Michigan State Police took another look at her murder in 2001. Back when they collected the DNA, they did have a way to easily search. They didn't have a way to easily search for a match. And then I'd lose where I'm at.
0: It's okay. It's the COVID. (laughs) <laughs> right they
1: worked on the case though through 2001 and they didn't come up with anything in 2020 they took another shot when they received a tip to look into patrick Gillum. okay is this all coming back to you
0: sort of i can't remember how they found how they got to him
1: so at the time of the tip, he lived in Indiana, so they traveled there. They, got to, they had to gather his DNA, which they got lucky and picked up a cigarette butt that had okay. his DNA on it. They okay. tested it. It was a match. When he was interviewed, he stated that he had traveled to Michigan for work. He did know people named Roxanne, two of them, but not Roxanne Wood. It wasn't until the police told him that Roxanne's throat was cut and showed him a picture of her that he visibly became nervous and then immediately asked for a lawyer interview over. He was let go. No shit. In February 2022, they arrested Patrick for Roxanne's murder, charged with open murder and breaking into an occupied dwelling. In April 2022, um, 35 years after Roxanne's murder, Patrick Gillum pled no contest to the murder, stating he can't believe he did what he did and and that he was sorry to Roxanne's family and his family for disgracing them. Oh, his his sentence was 23 years to 50 years in prison. At the time of sentencing, he was 67 and would be about 90 if he served just the minimum amount of his time.
0: Good. That's good.
1: He, yeah. He actually had served time in Indiana around 1980 for the breaking and entering and attacking of Maureen Farag, F-A-R-A-G. Okay. He had broke into her home and then assaulted her. He served only half of the prison sentence for that. It was stated in a ABC 57 News article that Maureen attended his sentencing for the m- murder of Roxanne to support the family. Mm-hmm. On a Wood TV 8 newscast, they did a story about Gabrielle Vargas, which now this is kind of coming back to me. I think you did this story.
0: And... Um. Maybe, maybe yeah. I'm like sort of. I can't yeah. remember the cigarette butt. Yeah, Gabriel. And the fact that he had no connection to. Actually, that he had no connection to Roxanne. What were the two things?
1: Correct. Yeah. And so, Gabrielle Vargas is from California, and she's a genealogist okay. who solved the case. Two previous DNA companies stated this case was unsolvable. And she decided to try her hand at it. It took her four days of backing through the family tree to pinpoint three brothers. When she looked into the brothers, she landed on Patrick. And she really landed on Patrick because he had, you know, prior similar, a similar act with Maureen. Okay. And then I stumbled upon um, a Facebook page that's in memory of Roxanne Wood, who seems to be ran by her sister, and where it talked about her, you know, people were posting things about her favorite song, which was Bon Jovi's Wanted Dead or Alive, and her sister wrote about the night she was woke up by the phone call telling her that Roxanne was murdered and how that day They had a brief visit where they laughed and how she was, you know, the person who always got her. Another person wrote how she was a joy to be around. And then there was another post of somebody that had worked with her that said she was a wonderful, honest, fun-loving person. The Facebook page had many pictures from over the years. It's very heartbreaking. Oh wow! Oh, they caught it. caught the monster. If he stays in jail,
0: oh. you know, yeah,
1: can always they, get.
0: Up. I'm always glad when they catch him, and I don't care how much time has to pass. I'm fine.
1: All right, next time, I'll make sure I start looking. I didn't remember, well, I didn't remember it
0: yeah don't worry, and honestly i I don't remember it either, so maybe um this that you got more stuff or different stuff to be honest,
1: maybe well, everybody got to hear it again for those that didn't hear the last one, here's that one exactly I'll, get, I'll work on get my shit together,
0: or maybe if you put the two together, that'd be great.
1: We're like running in. see you,
0: yeah, I guess something I learned is um before i watch a discovery plus show maybe i should first look up the crime to see if i'm interested in it because i start to watch this one and i like start to get into it and i realized that this dude and his girlfriend like to kidnap rape and murder young little girls and there's no uh, way i'm gonna watch that fucking show so i just scrapped it right where it was <laughs> no siree so i learned to start looking it up Right. The one with John Walsh, I did not want to look up. This dude also likes to uh, rape little girls and was on the run for a long time. And I was like, no, I'm not going to dedicate an hour of watching this show and then another hour of looking up articles to make sure all the information matches. No.
1: Well, you yeah. know what? My my thing is, lately, when, when I decided I was going to do this Roxanne after – Reading about it, they I running into all the kid stuff, kid There's murdered. There's there. a lot of kid stuff. I don't know why, I, like, my Google takes me there, and I don't know if it's because yeah. of that first case when we came yeah. back,
0: yeah, that but, Michelle Blair,
1: but it's like Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, no, I learned to start Googling it. That's how I learned to avoid the John Walsh one. I'm like, oh, it has kids in this one too? Skip, bitch. I'm not doing this.
1: All right. Until next time.
0: Until next time, I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye.